I'm interested in what sort of phrases we might hear if you were to uh, engage in some libations before a slew date in game. Yes. Um, fuck off would be one. Uh, that's my favorite when somebody I don't like. I assume it. that's at like a seven-year-old child. Yeah. <laughs> He'll give a, he gives the Logan Roy to anyone, uh, anyone wearing Dayton. <laughs> These are the tales of college basketball past as you've never heard them before. Our guests tell stories blending team seasons, on and off court moments, memories of personal fandom, catastrophe, and elation, and yes, alcohol. I'm Jeremy. I'm Matt. And I'm Pat. We do the work, you tell the story. These are the college basketball stories. I'm Peter Hale. And I'm Zach Miller. And we're with the Midtown Madness podcast. And we're going to tell you the story of the 2011-2012 St. Louis University Billikens. So to understand the story of this team this year and, and why they matter, you really have to understand the state of the program a few years earlier when Rick Majerus was hired at St. Louis University. Um, the coach at the time was a guy named Brad Soderberg, who is now at the University of Virginia, um, won a national championship there with Tony Bennett. He he was an Brad was an assistant at Wisconsin under Dick Bennett, Tony's dad. And the Bennett's, um, as as most people now know, are kind of famous for their pack line defense, um, you know, low scoring, motion oh, offense, oh. pick and pop offense. Yeah, some people think it's boring basketball, but that's their style and it's the kind of style that can bring, you know, a, a Wisconsin to the final four, a Virginia national title. And it's also the kind of style that makes a, a one seed lose to a 16 seed in the, in the first round. Every game is kept close because of the way that they, the way that they play the pace and everything. But, um, you know, at the time, so SLU is, is playing in a big downtown arena, which is now called the enterprise center, 20,000 seat arena. They're practicing in an ancient gym on campus, the West Pine Gym, which is just a, a you know, completely dated facility, facility in every way. The athletic director is a woman named Cheryl Levick, and the president of the school is a guy named um, Father Biondi. And um, they decide after five years of Soderbergh, um, who had just won 20 games in his fifth season, by the way, was kind of, kind of an up and down year, but you know, a little short of expectations. Um, Basically, Biondi went over the athletic director's head and decides to fire him, and they bring in Rick Majerus. They're going to make a big splash with this hire. We've got a new arena under construction. It's basically ushering in a new era of, of slew basketball. And the first few years under Majerus are kind of brutal, honestly, because they're just it's just you know up and down. He's he's so focused on teaching these guys that. Um, he we was, scored 20, less than 20 points. We in scored a game. 20 points in a game, in an actual <laughs> yes. basketball, a college basketball game. Yes. Shot clock era. 20 points in a game. And, and he didn't care at all because he was just like, here's what we're working on. Here's what we're, he was just such a teacher. For the record, you guys did lose that game. We, we did. George Washington. I, yeah. I mean, they only scored like 45 or something. It was, they didn't do well either, but, uh, 
I I did not pay my bar tab by accident. I was so beside myself <laughs> that I walked out of Iggy's Mexican Cantina on the campus of San Luis University without paying for my bill. Yeah, that's um. I watched it at home and I just kind of, I felt like I was sleepwalking that night. I was like, what did I just see? I was like confusing, but (laughs) Majerus, um, it's it's the kind of thing that would just not be allowed at big time college basketball programs for the most part who want by, they want immediate results. You know, guys are getting fired after two seasons now. Um, And, and so, you know, he just didn't care at all. He was just like, I'm going to teach these guys. I'm going to bring in my guys. I'm going to teach them the game. And if they don't like it, they can leave. And the guys that stay are really going to learn and be great. And the first season that that was really supposed to start to pay off was the 2010-2011 season. So the one before what we're talking about. And of course, heading into this season, there's, um, I don't want to relitigate it at all. You know, I can can run it. I can run it. Okay, Zach, Zach, why don't you, why don't you explain what happened right before this season starts? So uh, right before the 2010-2011 season. Um, there starts to be rumblings of um, some some trouble between, uh, among four of the Billiken basketball players. Uh, there were police on campus that, e- that an evening. Um, I think this was, I, I want to say, right in midterms in the fall, or maybe in the you know finals in the spring. Even I think it was finals in the spring. Uh, it, and, it all blew up that October, I believe. Yes, but the, I think it was the. Oh, it happened, happened, it happened yeah, in spring. That's right. For this one, it happened in like May mm-hmm. around finals. And then like um, it, it was brought to people's attention after the fall semester had started. So like September, yeah. I want to say. And then, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Go ahead. So, um, yeah. So essentially uh, a young woman um, accused uh, all four Billiken players of sexual assault. Um, the... The, I mean, I don't even know if I want to tell the like. I, basically, the the rumor innuendo was that there was uh, a train of sorts run. Um, it's now uh, kind of um, unaffectionately called situation one uh, among Billiken fans, but uh, John Smith. And Justin Jordan are expelled. Uh, Willie Reed and Kwame Mitchell are suspended. Uh, Kwame Mitchell was the star point guard. Willie Reed was an electric center, six foot nine, uh, maybe. Oh, he was taller than that. So, well, yeah. yeah, I think he's listed at six nine, uh, but one hundred and ninety pounds soaking wet, maybe. Uh, but just electric um, athlete. Uh, played, had a cup of coffee with the Miami Heat uh, of the NBA eventually, but uh, Willie Reed decides that he's done with this. They go in front of like a um, a student conduct committee um, and basically, and nobody really knows for sure uh, whether they, I, whether it happened or not. I don't know um, exactly the way it, it was laid out, but uh, they basically suspended those two players for the year uh, Willie Reed said, fuck this, I'm out. Uh, Kwame uh, decided to stick around, um, take the year, um, worked on his game. Uh, so going into this season, we're, 
I mean, we're without four players from the previous season, two players that logged big time minutes and were ready to break out. Yeah. Um, the number one and two guys. I mean, yes. not just, not just, you know, depth. I mean, these are like the, the two guys who were potential, like all conference players. Right. So, I mean, you're looking, I'm looking at that roster. Thanks ad on sports reference. Um, but I mean, <laughs> that, that season you have without Kwame Mitchell, you have two juniors in Kyle Cassidy and Brian Conklin. Brian Conklin, Conklin would later have uh, what we now refer to as a Conklin summer through going into a senior year. And um, this was the year prior, right? So 2010-2011 leading into this the season we're going to talk about. Brian Conklin has a Conklin summer, uh, completely transforms his game, gets completely healthy, and turns into the player that he would be the next year. But you have starters, uh, Mike McCall Jr., Jordair Jett at guard. You have, uh, you know, a freshman center in Rob Lowe and a sophomore in Corey Remakin in the front court. Um, Kyle Cassidy is your probably small forward, quote unquote, your three guard. Uh, he's a junior. So I believe at the time we were the youngest team in the country. Um, and this was not by design. And you can tell that in the way that uh, Rick Majera scheduled this game this, this year. He has um, Ole Miss, um, you know, Missouri State, Duke. He's number one Duke is on the schedule. At so, Duke. yeah, at Duke. Uh, we had Georgia coming to play here. They weren't that great, but they were, you know, decent enough. It's an SEC team. Uh, so this season was supposed to be the breakout season. He had it set up to to test this team. And um, little did he know that uh, it was going to test the freshmen that would, uh, that would later be needed to step up in 11-12. Yeah. So, so this is the, this freshman class is supposed to kind of be the understudies this season. And instead they're thrown into the fire and, and they're either starters or they're high rotation players. And it wasn't completely fair to them, but it was, it was quite an education because this winds up being arguably the most important class in, in SLU history. Cause the next year they take us to three straight tournaments. Um, and, and this was the, the fruits of what Majerus was saying, like, give me time to teach, guys up go through the steps and uh and they'll be good but that season was rough i mean i was at the duke game and that was a <laughs> that was, that was a, a we lost by like 40 it was a beating you mentioned um, being rough too and and yeah. i and and abilican fans i mean there is i mean i'm sure there's talk to this day and wonder uh how much this season played into and the situation quote unquote uh, played into his later declining health and whether the stress um, could have been a contributing factor eventually. Yeah, you know, and I, I don't know. I mean, it certainly couldn't help. Right. I, I got to say, a, at least publicly, he was, Majerus never complained about the no. school's decision, what had to happen. He, he was just like, all right, this is, this, is what, this is what I have to deal with. This is what I have to deal with. He complained more about conference affiliation than that. Yeah, I mean, he, he, <laughs> yeah, or uh, not getting a dinner reservation or something. I mean, he, yes. yeah, he just, but with stuff like this, and it's kind of the same way, like Majerus is an Traveling interesting guy. Alien. He never, he was a guy who never worked the refs. He just kind of like dealt with whatever the situation was at the time. Um, 
just a, a really interesting mind that way. So, so what was supposed to be year two of, of the Majerus experiment paying off in 2011, 2012 is now just year one, you know, like we've, we've reset, um, everything's been pushed back a year. Kwame Mitchell is back. Uh, Willie Reed's gone. Um, if, I mean, if he were there, good Lord, this team would have been incredible. Um, but now you've got this amazing class of, uh, Dwayne Evans, Mike McCall, Jordair Jet, Rob Lowe, and now Jake Barnett, who's transferred in, they're all sophomores. Um, um, although I guess Bar Barnett probably sat this, uh, no, he, yeah, yeah. he played, he played, no, he played, er um, yeah, he just not, I, he wasn't playing yeah, much yet. You're right. Uh, he had transferred in from Akron, but yeah. Hey, if, if we, if we wouldn't have lost Willie Reed, we would have never known the name Grandy Glaze. <laughs> That's a that's a whole other side yeah, story. Whole... <laughs> Sounds like a donut. Big maple. <laughs> uh, something about donuts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we totally can get into that later. Yeah, uh, that's yeah, the whole can... thing. But yeah, now you've got also Brian Conklin after the infamous Conklin summer. Um, he's all of a sudden in full on beast mode, and Cody Ellis is really coming into his own as a junior. He's a guy who's, you know, he's got great size as a power forward at like six eight two forty. But he can hit threes. Um, he's infamous for taking charges and pissing off opposing fan bases. They just—he's the guy everybody loved to hate, you know, with his like curly frock of hair that he eventually put a big blue streak down the middle in. Um, very, so, very Australian, so, very so, Australian dude. So this this group, this team, really came into its own this season and 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 started to show out, um, you know, what a Majerus team could become. Yeah, this, I mean, this season, uh, it started off uh, unbelievably, too. Um, I mean, you have your 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 cupcake to start the, the season, but uh, in Tennessee State, but you get into a game like Southern Illinois, um, it's cliche, but you throw out the, the, the record book when, uh, you know, a team like SIU um, or Missouri State, I mean, no longer Mizzou, but when Mizzou would would ball ball up and play us, yeah, you know, so, it didn't matter. SLU has an interesting relationship with the Missouri Valley Conference. It's headquartered in St. Louis. Um, SLU is not in the conference and has always kind of been in, you know, the next conference up, whether that was Conference USA or or the A10. But these Valley teams, they recruit St. Louis. And it's a lot of guys that SLU passed on. You know, historically, it's been players who are like, you know, SLU didn't wind up offering. They go to these Valley schools. They've got a chip on their shoulder. They can't wait to play SLU. And we always play a few of them every year. Um, we, we've typically had a home and home. You know, we play once a season with um, SIU, Carbondale. We've played Missouri State a lot. And we've always got some combination of Illinois State or Bradley, um, Drake. We, we always wind up playing these teams and they love to play SLU. They play their big conference tournament at in St. Louis every year um, at the arena we formerly played in. Episode three of the College Basketball Stories is by another one of our SLU guys, SLU High guys, Joey Zanaboni, who's who's a broadcaster now. Um, he does the uh, story of Arch Madness, um, and he's mm. just a goofball and hilarious. So it's uh, very uh, all over the place, but very like you know, controlled in Joey's mind. So you guys, okay. yeah, I'll definitely check that out.
I've gone to a lot of those Arch Madness uh, events over the years. So the, when, when there's a Valley team on our schedule, no matter what kind of shape they're in, you can never overlook them. And, uh, and we went, it was a blast. We went down to SIU arena and, and, you know, hung a 19 point win on them. And it was, it was just a really satisfying game. This, this team, the, the, the stats in this game, you have seven turnovers for the Billikens, the entire game, uh, compared to 14 to Southern Illinois. And remember, we're not a pressing team. We're not a pressure defense team. So those are those are off of just genuinely good defense, good positional defense. And that's what Majerus taught. I mean, he would put tape on the floor showing you exactly where he wants you in any given moment. I mean, if if you could see the practice, there was tape of all different colors uh, just strewn across the floor. But uh, I mean, the seven turnovers for the Billikens really is what came to define this team, especially when going up against, I mean, maybe even going past the season a little bit, but going up against teams like VCU, um, you really kind of saw how good these guards were, especially Jet and McCall coming up as just sophomores, given that they had, uh, they had spent the 10 and 11 season running the show. But yeah, Majerus's thing was just like a very controlled, low mistake, um, sound offense, and then defensively, just the most like harassing man-to-man you've ever seen. Like um, he loved to, to get his guys into passing lanes and, and disrupt passing lanes. That was the big Majerus thing. Yeah, um, and I think I think this season we still didn't. I mean, you go and win the game at SIU, but you still don't know what you have as a Billiken fan because SIU can be bad, SIU can be good in any given year. Uh, what really set this program, set the fan base into kind of a frenzy was a, a moderately attended uh, New Year's Eve afternoon game. Uh, or No, I'm sorry, it wasn't, that wasn't New Year's Eve. This was in, uh, no, it was November 20th. Uh, it, was, it was the it was next really, game, right? Yeah, it was the next game, and it but it was it was not well attended, if I recall. I well, it was a more it was eleven o'clock in the morning. Yeah, right. So Washington on, on a come, Sunday, right? Washington comes to town. Uh, they're playing at nine a.m. their time, um, and they're coached by Peter, the great Lorenzo Romar. So yeah, uh, yeah um, even though his none of none of his players were still around. Um, you know, people knew who he was and it was still, uh, you know, there's still a little something extra to that. Yeah. Um, Bob Ramsey, we call him Rammer. Uh, he's the radio host or the radio play-by-play guy for the Billikens. There's probably two iconic Rammer moments uh, in recent Billiken vintage. Uh, this one being one of them. Uh, basically what happens is um, uh, Dwayne Evans comes down with a rebound uh, and he's, uh, He's leveled by uh, Gant for Washington. I can't remember his first name. Uh, but Dwayne Evans gets knocked to the floor, gets back up. Slew has the ball. Slew's bringing it up the court. Um, and Wilcox, I believe, for them is guarding. Uh, I believe it's either, I think it's Mitchell carrying the ball up. And, and Conklin sets this screen uh, about at about the free throw line. And... I mean, it was, now, it was before it was before he crossed the timeline, so yes. it was still in the backcourt. Yeah, so it was in the backcourt, and nowadays they have to stop play to check him for a concussion. Uh, I mean, just 
<laughs> you would think Conklin was moving forward with the force that which he, the the screen was set, but it was a perfect screen um, and just absolutely just gets running. This kid runs right into Conklin, falls over, has no idea what's going on. Uh, the ball just makes murdered. it down. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and like so, cleanly. It, it, yes. it's, it's, it's wild. Yeah. Um, but uh, Kwame gets the ball down. Somehow Conklin follows the play and catches up with it. Um, and there's a dish from Evans to, to Conklin. And Conklin finishes with an and one layup. And the place loses its ever-loving mind. Back up top on the drive. Simmons, the runner off the glass. No, tip battle loose. Evans is absolutely decked by Gant. Absolutely leveled him. Evans stays in the game. Oh, speaking of oh, yeah. Conklin leveled yeah. Wilcox, and he's down for the count. Driving Evans for Conklin layup. Good whistle foul. Count the basket. You want to play rough? You want to play rough? Let's play. That's Brian Conklin. Folks. That's senior leadership there, boy. Legal screen. Timeout on the floor. 68-46 St. Louis. This is Billiken basketball. The, it, I, it may have been the, and this was, this was in the midst of probably the best half of basketball I think I've seen the Billikens play in my lifetime. Yeah, 50 to 25 was that first half, and um, the game was completely out of hand. And just it was just perfect, perfect execution at both ends. It was really, I, yeah, it still stands out as the, like the most satisfying half of basketball I've ever watched. Yeah, it was, it was, um, it was an amazing game. Yeah, and, and on a Sunday morning. Yeah, and if you see the video of the, the screen, you'll see a familiar face show up at the end. Um, the, the SLU Athletic Department video. I'm in the student section um, going bananas, um, <laughs> to say the least. But uh, yeah, after that game, uh, that was kind of the that was kind of the the lightning rod for fans to to see that uh, that this team's going to be something special and. Uh, they took uh, an opportunity at a, at a made-for-TV tournament in Anaheim to uh, announce themselves to the country, Pete. Yeah, this was um, this was one I remember watching at at bars around St. Louis. Mm -hmm. uh, it was kind of around Thanksgiving weekend, <clears throat> and we beat in in uh, in the span of four days. We beat Boston College, Villanova, and Oklahoma to win this thing. Played out in Anaheim, and then stayed out in LA to play at Loyola Marymount actually wound up losing that one that was kind of a weird game they did um, they won every one of the each of those three by more than 10 points yeah it, it was just clinical i mean it was just it, you know it was kind of a continuation of what we saw against washington just seeing like all right we we took our lumps for a couple of years and now we're watching everything that he's kind of like taught these guys and instilled in them and he's got a young class that's that you know that believes in it and uh and here we are yeah beating um Boston College by 11, Villanova by 12, Oklahoma by 20 in the in the final. Uh, fun fact, by the way, SLU has never lost to Villanova. Um, we are 3-0 all-time against them. This is the last time we played them. We also um, have a winning record against Kentucky, if we're going to throw out that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Don't look at our records against uh, most other teams all time. It's <laughs> Kentucky and Villanova. So, so we, we, unfortunately we lose, maybe the Loyola Marymount game was a step too far, you know, staying out there for a whole week. Mm -hmm. um, but then we come back and, and win the next six um, in the midst of that stretch. 
probably in the worst game we played in that stretch was against a D2 team, Illinois Springfield, and that winds up being Majerus's 500th win um, <laughs> as a head coach. Now, these were mostly by games, you know, games that we should have won. There were some good ones in there. You know, Vermont's always um, solid, for example. Um, but but now, you know, before we go back out on the road to um, to New Mexico, we're 12 and one and, and you know, people are really paying attention. Um, not ranked at this point. We were ranked actually right out. This is the, the most slew thing ever. We, we, we win that tournament in Anaheim. We get ranked number 23 and then lose to Loyola Marymount the next day. So we don't wind up being ranked again all year. Um, it was one of those games where, you know, Loyola Marymount has historically been known as this, uh, you know, back in the day when they were really a thing, they were kind of that run and gun, you know, explosive offense kind of style. Um, and they really weren't that, you know, when we went out there and played them, it was kind of a slow, um, low, well, it was 75, 68. So uh, loyal, it, it, it wound up being Loyola Marymount just had a big second half, couldn't miss in the second half. And I don't know if that was finally fatigue setting in We we didn't shoot, you know, poorly in that game. Um, but I know about like Ellis Mitchell and Conklin all got in foul trouble. And I think that had a lot to do with it, you know, them going on that big run in the second half and uh, and the wheels just kind of came off. I'd like to think if, you know, one or two of those guys doesn't get in foul trouble, this game might go, you know, the other way. But, you know, it happens. Yeah, um, I think one of the, the the craziest games I think of this season was the, the next game after that uh, after that winning streak. Um, the Billikens go to the pit in New Mexico and, and play Steve Alford, of all people. Uh, in his time at Iowa, he seems to show up every so often on the <laughs> schedule. Um, and, and this game, like, I mean, the pit is, is legendary for its crowd noise and its home, home court advantage. But, like, I think the consensus among Billiken fans was we really just got kind of posed by the officials in this one. Um 28 fouls were called against the Billikens to uh, 17 for New Mexico. So almost 50% difference there if you take away a couple fouls or whatever. Uh, but it's a 64-60 loss, 31-29 uh, at halftime. Uh, and then New Mexico uh, finished second half 33-31. Uh, but uh, it was, this, was a, this was another massive game for Brian Conklin. Uh, he was outstanding. Uh, eight of twelve from the field, uh, four of four from the line, twenty points, nine rebounds, um, and, and again you look at look at the turnovers in this one. Uh, the Billikens lose with eight turnovers. Um, that's just insane. Um, yeah, and, and New Mexico held on to the ball pretty well, um, better than most did against the Billikens in the season. They only had eleven, so uh, but it was it was a miserable miserably tough game and. I remember watching this one at the field house uh, right across the street from campus. It was a, it was a packed house, if I recall correctly. Yeah, this this that was one of those kind of road games that felt like home cooking. You hate to put it on the refs, but we were not a team that played um, a physical style that would cause us to be so disproportionately called. Um, you know, although it just didn't make sense. So. That was a that was a bitter pill to swallow, but just as bad was starting the A10 season, um, you know, in the next game against a, a 
I don't know if you guys know this school. I'm not familiar with it. The University of Dayton. Um, Never heard of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, lower tier kind of safety school. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we play we play them on the road and lose our first A10 game in overtime. I, I honestly I don't remember I don't remember this game all that well. I just remember not being really just really pissed off because we're coming off that loss where we just you know we're all complaining about the the refs and then you have a game again where Conklin and Mitchell both foul out. Uh, you know, we lose in overtime. We're at Dayton, of course, you know, um, they, they had a bunch of dudes in foul trouble too. So I don't think it was as big a factor in this one. Um, but you know, just, just not a, not a, the way you want to start the conference year, you know, shooting 40% at Dayton. Anytime you lose to two stiffs like Luke Fabrizius and Matt Cavanaugh, you're not happy <laughs> with how things went. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, just two bad basketball players. <laughs> and then, then you got uh, fucking Chris Johnson. I don't even know who Paul Williams is. Who? Who? I've never. Even, I don't. I don't even that that name. I've never heard it. Honestly, I didn't even know. I didn't know they had a player by that name, and he apparently started for you guys. So I, I, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, it was just a just a miserable. Uh, it's miserable to lose two in a row, and uh, you know, especially when it's it's your first uh, first A ten game of the season, and uh, you have such a uh, a reputation going into it that season. It, it's kind of a um, it's a kick in the in the nuts. Do you guys have a least favorite Dayton Flyer of all time? Ooh. Man, Dayton always has those guys who seem like they're there for six or seven seasons. Um, yeah. When I was there, it was Keith Walaskowski. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> who, uh, he, he, like, every year was just like, how is he still there? Like, he, I guess he was just like, you know, the guys who come in and are like freshman rotation players, but um, we would play Dayton once a year in, in those years. And so just every year you're like, oh, he's, he's got to be gone by now. Uh, he was always there, but you've had a lot of players like that over the years. That uh, Oliver dude felt like he was there forever. Yeah, Devin Oliver. Um, Chris Wright was probably is probably one that I would say. Chris Wright and Brian Roberts. Um, Brian Roberts was another one who felt like a sixth year senior by the time. But we love to make fun of Brian Gregory. I think Brian Gregory might be my favorite Dayton personality of all time. London Warren. Fuck London Warren, by the way. <laughs> God, that was, I hated that. that. No, London Warren's my least favorite of all time. Right there. That's it. London Warren. Wow, that's a, that's a funny pick. Um, I don't know why I hated his ass. He just, I, maybe it's his name because Mickey Perry also hated that guy. I think he's anybody with like a weird name. Luke Fabrizius hated him. <laughs> uh, Scoochie Smith. Yeah, Scoochie Smith. Yeah, I don't. I, don't, I didn't like that dude. Um, well, you've got his brother to hate now too. Yeah, yeah that's true. He's, He's not good enough to hate. Jawan Staten. He will be. <laughs> Jawan Staten was one I didn't like. Uh, right, we don't like him either. Uh yeah, Jawan. Just I Man, mean, yeah. I'm kind of torn. I, I, I really, I did not like uh, Smith, Scoochie Smith. I, I would probably, maybe it's recency bias, but I, Crutcher 
And maybe it's the yeah, fact that he always seems to kill us. I think Crutcher is probably my the one I hate the most all time. I was gonna go ask, with Crutcher. I was gonna ask how many times you guys have watched the uh, the video set to Titanic because for me it's like <laughs> hundred and fifty. <laughs> you you keep a bottle of Jergens next to it too. <laughs> Don't need to. I don't even need to. It's spontaneous. Jeez. Jeez. Oh, God. Yeah, no. It's like some love guru shit. It's another one of your terrible movie references. Does two straight losses, including one to start the conference season, feel like it wipes out that that hot start or that momentum or whatever it is? Or is it just like... You know, a quick kick in the nuts, but it's like back to business. Well, we knew they were good. It's not like, you know, even though you start the conference, you're 0-1 and realize like, oh, wow, you know, there's nothing in this league is a foregone conclusion. Um, you know, it's a pretty strong conference that year. Um, I think we still knew that this was a good team that was just uh, too resilient, too, uh, too well coached, uh, too smart to, to let that get to them, I think. You know, we wind up losing one of the next two. I, I want to say it was Temple. Uh, yeah, Temple. And um, and then pretty much played pretty I, – we played pretty great after that. You know, a loss, at, a loss at UMass, a loss at Rhode Island, but won out the rest of the games at conference, including – I think this was the only year that we won twice against Xavier. Um, we beat them at, at home and on the road, and, and wound up – we did wind up losing to them in the conference tournament. Um but be, but beating Xavier both you know both times is is felt like a pretty big statement. I mean Xavier's always been so good. I don't think they were ranked that year, but um, that that was kind of a quirk of our schedule is is nobody was ranked when we played them that season. And I think that and those losses to end the non conference and and start the conference season is what kept us from being ranked again that 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 season. Yeah, I tend to forget Atlantic 10 games. I don't know about you, Peter, but, like, I don't remember a damn one of these games. Um, I mean, even the Dayton game, I don't recall. Um, I always – I remember the uh, the non-conference games because I think that's when my excitement peaks. Yeah. And then I just kind of – like, conference, I'm kind of settled into a groove, and it's Billiken basketball season. Like, it's just, you know um, – but yeah, I, I mean, I can't point to one of those conference games and be like, that game was massive. You know, yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I remember, I definitely remember a good number of the, I had season tickets this year. This this year is kind of a special one to me because it was the last year that I actually lived in St. Louis before uh, moving back here to Cincinnati where my wife's from. She's a big Xavier fan. So typically we would see, um, uh... <laughs> trust me, <laughs> I know. Uh, so we'd obviously go to the game at, um, at, at Chaffetz at the time, but we would also travel back to Cincinnati for the Xavier game, um, um, there as well. So, so it was, it was a big deal to win both of those for me, you know, sitting next to her for, for those, I guess the thing about this conference season is I think the memories kind of get wiped by the next season. Um, which again, SLU was really strong, but it was also probably the best season ever in the A-10 because, um, you know, you've, you've obviously got SLU and Dayton and Xavier still in it. That was also the year that Butler joined and before they, so, so 2012, they 2013. They were ninth and 15th in the nation in each of those games. Yeah. So, so you've got, you've got Xavier, Dayton, SLU, Butler, you've got Temple still good. Um, 
Uh, I think she, that was the last VCU. year that Charlotte was in the league. Yeah, did you um, say VCU? Was was VCU in yet that year? Yeah, tw- they were twenty fourth. Um, yeah, okay. Got down with Champions. Wait, in 20, 2012, 2013? I don't know if you. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. you're yeah. right. Yeah, they were okay. That was the year. So so yeah, so VCU too. So that was kind of this like magic season where it's like, oh, we've got Butler and VCU now, in addition to, uh, you know, Xavier, Slew, Dayton, everybody else. And of course it all falls apart the next year. But I remember that conference schedule a lot more because of that, right. because of just how strong the league was and the fact that Slew went, I think, 13 and three um, in the conference that year. Yeah, it's definitely, that one was a, was a big one for me. And, uh, I know there were a lot of great road trips on that one, but that's not why we're here. <laughs> uh, we are here to talk about the 2011, 2012 Billikens. Um, yeah, that, that I think I, I mean, I had, I mean, I can go into the stuff that happened on the trip to, uh, to Atlantic city, but Pete, I mean, if you want to run down that tournament, cause I mean, it ended up being a bit of a disappointment, the tournament. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I mean, because we're, you know, we're bounced in the second round against Xavier. But going into this tournament, um, we're, we're 24 and 6 overall. We're feeling pretty, you know, pretty good about the fact that we're going to be an at-large team. Um, so hopes were high. What I, I'm trying to remember the A-10 um, standings that season. It was the two seed and Temple was the one. So we had the first round bye, right? So you've that, got the yeah. Was that Khalif Wyatt and those? Uh, Temple, yeah. yeah. So Temple was ranked by this point. Um, yeah, yeah, it was Khalif Wyatt, Ramon Moore, right? Uh, okay, Juan Fernandez. Yeah. So we're the we're the two seed. We're on the other side of the bracket from Temple, but of course Xavier's the three seed. Um, so so we play the LaSalle Richmond winner, which winds up being LaSalle. And, uh, you know, beat them. And then on the other side, Dayton beats GW. And then Xavier uh, pulls out a one-point win over Dayton. One of the rare occasions when I remember actually kind of rooting for Dayton. (laughs) Because I did not want to see Xavier in the next round. But, but yeah, we wind up losing to them by seven. And then um, St. Bonaventure upsets Xavier in the final. Um, you know, after like Temple was, was bounced right away by UMass, which was kind of weird on that side, which kind of opened things up for Bonaventure on the other side of the bracket. But why don't, why don't you tell us about, um, Atlantic city? Because I actually never made the trek out there, um, when the conference tournament was there. And I, that, that's kind of a regret of mine. I wish, wish I would have had that experience. I, I genuinely think we should go back there. I just think it was, I mean, so much fun. Uh, I mean, I was what, so... 2007, I graduated high school, so I was 87, 18, uh, 22, 21, 22. I know I was at least 21 because uh, got, I got in the casino and whatnot. But uh, note about Bonaventure, uh, the Billiken pep band uh, always tends to be the stand-in for the Bonaventure pep band, which doesn't exist. So at any Atlantic 10 event, uh, usually the Billiken band will stand in as the Bonaventure band. And they played, when Bonaventure won that, the Billiken band played outside at Boardwalk Hall, and then a bunch of the Bonaventure fans went and jumped in the Atlantic Ocean. That that crew was wild, that, that Bonaventure crew. But uh, I flew up 
to Lennox. And it's so much fun though. Like just so much to do. I just think it's, it's the best place for the tournament. I could care less about Brooklyn. Um, although it is a nice place. Um, but I flew up actually with, uh, Kyle Cassidy's family who I'd gotten to know, uh, that season. But most of the weekend, I kind of, I, I, you know, I hung out with them. And then, uh, I mean, the Billikens obviously lost in that night. Uh, it was like the mascot, the cheerleaders, like we were all out at the bar. Uh, Dollar Blackjack was like incredible to a college student who could put like $20 down and, and just get free booze all night and never lose. Like you can't lose all your money playing Dollar Blackjack. You just can't. Uh, so that was that was unbelievable i ended up they all we all stayed up i think till the bus left uh for the airport and i ended up riding home or riding back to the airport with the cheerleaders uh just like stowed away on the bus uh, i got to the airport like seven hours before my flight but uh yeah that that tournament kind of stunk but the, i mean vegas or not vegas uh atlantic city is amazing um i like vegas too uh, but, uh, but like the push cart cabs, those are the best, like just going for a ride. I think I like just got into one, like got Hooters to go and went and just rode up and down the boardwalk on one of those, like drunk as hell. Uh, that's the most Atlantic city experience that you can have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Tied sorry. That was the restaurant in the hotel. Sue me. Uh, but, uh, yeah, no, um, yeah, I ended up just, um, Riding back to the airport on the on the bus with like the cheerleaders and the mascot, it was bizarre. Uh, but yeah, and then I mean, we I think we kind of knew. I think that was Saturday night, maybe yeah, that happened. So I was able to get home for the uh, for the uh, the selection show, which which was pretty awesome. Wish we could talk about the selection show that the uh, basketball team had from the best. Hey, Peter. Yeah, not as good as that uh, that experience, but um, I think it's pretty good. Pretty good draw for us overall, though. Yeah, uh, what did you think uh, of the uh, the eight seed? Yeah, so I, we kind of knew we were going to be in that neighborhood, right? Like kind of the seven to ten area, um, and then um, I think it was the second region that they called out the West. Um, and Michigan State's the one seed. And then, of course, uh, they, they call Memphis as the eight and Slew as the nine. And as soon as I saw that, I really liked the Memphis matchup because I thought, okay, Majerus can outcoach, he can run circles around Passner as a head coach. And, and he did. And not just experience or whatever. I just, I've never been impressed with Passner as a head coach. And, um, and, and that's exactly what Majerus did. Like, that, that Memphis team had probably seven guys who went on to play some level of professional basketball. I'm not saying they were like all NBA players, um, but clearly bigger, more athletic and talented than SLU. Um, they had won Conference USA that season. You know, guys like Joe Jackson and Tariq Black, Will Barton. Um, uh, I'm trying to think of... Uh, uh, yeah, who else did they have on this team? Uh, DJ Stevens, Adonis Thomas, although I think he was hurt when we played them. Um, so this was a really talented team, but I was just like, I was so ready for this game because I, I just kind of knew we were going to pick them apart. 
Yeah, I think I think this right here is why Peter and I probably champion doing this season specifically. Uh, because not only did we make the tournament for the first time since 01. Uh, is that right, Pete? Or was it wasn't 99, it was 01, right? It was 2000. 2000, um, you're right. Yeah. Uh, the miracle in Memphis, which is a, a whole other story. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Unbelievable uh, run, four games, four days. So it was it was new to us. Uh, we definitely were not supposed to uh, be in that tournament in 2000. Uh, this one was, uh, we belonged. Uh, we felt we, we had a chance to make a run. So, uh, and we got a wonderfully favorable locale uh, for yeah. our games because uh, it, we, besides the Michigan State fans, I think Billiken fans uh, made columbus st louis for the weekend um and it, it I, I had a, a fucking blast uh um, yeah i did too i uh, drank a lot that week <laughs> yeah I, I ended up getting to meet uh mark titus um he, he was doing he happened to be doing a book signing on the day off uh and i just happened to wake up I, I think i walked like seven miles to the bookstore to get my book signed uh which was pretty pretty cool I uh, got a picture with him, but uh, yeah, that, I mean, uh, so Pete can, Pete can uh, kind of expand on this a little bit, but our athletic or not athletic department, our alumni relations department does a fantastic job. Uh, SLU's alumni footprint is all over the country, except for St. Louis, apparently, uh, which I think kind of contributes to poor attendance at times. Uh, but the alumni network is vast, uh, Chicago, New York, uh, a lot of East coast, uh, Texas, a lot of people come from, come up from Jesuit and Dallas. Um, but Chicago mainly, uh, so you, you've got a place like Columbus, which is, you know, it's, it's somewhere around the, it's, it's close enough to the East coast and really close to Chicago. Um, so it really was a perfect storm that uh, made it just a, an ideal destination for Billiken fans. Yeah, we a lot of us made the trek from St. Louis, but like Zach said, people came from all over, and we somehow wound up like they they had events like they had a tent set up on the on the plaza outside the arena. You know, there's all these different teams playing there, and somehow we're getting like the prime real estate. Um, obviously, Michigan State had a had a bigger presence there, but it it was a way bigger. Um, turnout of fans and then um, they've got the tent set up and they're they're shaking hands with with all the alums and I'm you know doing what they can to to fundraise and build team spirit and they're handing out little necklaces Stickers. and pom-poms and yeah all that kind of stuff um, so yeah we really I, didn't we have like a big inflatable billiken out there too like we almost tent? always do we almost yeah. always do i don't remember it was not, like it was, it was it felt like a like a home game when we walked up there so we're at this tent outside like having beers on the plaza outside the the arena before our game and right before it's time to go in for a slew um is when mizzou, mizzou loses to norfolk state um so we yes. we we watched yes. number Number 15 seed Norfolk State upset Mizzou in the first round. And all the SLU fans are just cheer, like loving it, like having so much fun. And then we go inside and um, and proceed to dismantle Memphis. 
uh, in the first round. And that was just that what like what a great day that was. So the bar that uh, they picked uh, was Front Street Bar and Grill. Uh, it is now closed. I or it says open, but I I, I think uh, it's being it's reported that it's closed. So maybe something else now. But it's legitimately a stone's throw from Nationwide Arena, um, and I mean it's great because you have every like all the fans are there, um, their the parents are there. So hey, we've all like our fan base and the parents have always had a really good relationship, like the players. So um, always been friendly. It's never been one of those things where the fans are uh, just assholes and and criti- over critical and. Uh, make enemies of, of family, um, but they were all there. Um, just huge contingent of Billiken fans, um, and like Peter said, uh, the people that have animosity towards Mizzou got to watch, uh, like myself, got to watch uh, them get beaten by Norfolk State, um, and uh, we go into the arena. And uh, I, I mean, we were shout out to like the Memphis Ushers because they kind of let us do whatever the hell we wanted. Uh, and I think this was illustrated in allowing me to stand up on the armrests and be as loud as I humanly <laughs> possibly could. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, uh, uh, an incredible experience. I think, uh, you had, uh, the big plays, you know, uh, Kwame from the parking lot. Uh, he hits like a 40 footer a jump shot. Like not even like a, a heave. He, 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 uh, it was just an incredible, uh, incredible game. And, uh, I, I, that was an experience I'll never forget. I got it interviewed by like, uh, Michigan TV. Uh, so that was, that was interesting, yeah. but it was, uh, it was a great game. Yeah. And then you've got the thing where like, it's okay. Now we won. Uh, so we're going to be here for a couple more days. <laughs> so, uh, we partied uh, our asses let's, off that Let's night. see what Columbus has to offer. And it was like, just go. I, I Man, so many bars and breweries and, uh, yes. you know, just meeting up with people and just having a blast all weekend, um, watching games wherever we could. And, yeah, just scrambling around Columbus, trying to have a good time for 48 hours until our next game against uh, one seed Michigan State. So I flew up there one way without a hotel really my plan was just to sleep on on a floor of uh yeah it was kyle cassie buddies from home uh and uh got up there and i'll shout out box and one because we're hanging out at french street and i i guess in my drunken uh you know state i like to open my mouth a little bit uh and talk and i said i was like oh yeah i don't have a bed like i'm not uh, I don't have really a hotel of my own. He's like, he hands me like, I think he handed me either like five twenties or $100 bill. Like and he said, he said, don't spend that on beer, get a hotel. So I just like went to the near, like he got me out. Like, fucking like, I mean, how, how that doesn't happen. Like these are the situations a, I find myself in and B like the kind of things that happen in Billiken nation. Like everybody, like, it's just everybody's for the most part that knows each other from social media and message boards. Everybody that knows each other is very, very cool. Yeah. Showing up is, is 
honestly more than half the battle. And and that he his name is Brian Spellacy, by the way. Zach uses his I didn't on, wanna, online I didn't handle. Wanna, I didn't want to dime him out by name. He's a nice. Well, yeah, you don't <laughs> you don't want him to be associated with you. Yes, he's a, no, he's, I, he's a great guy. He could lose his job. Yeah, yeah, he doesn't he doesn't need that stain on his, uh, yes, on his no. reputation. But yeah, we so we draw this uh, Michigan State team, and you know, I, Slew always so many times in the tournament we've kind of been that eight or nine seed, and we, we you know you get that we're always the team that win, wins one game and, and loses the second round, and here here we are again facing a number one seed. But honestly, I kind of think they're the most vulnerable number of all the one seeds yeah. that year. Um, so I didn't. Izzo mind. doesn't do anything in March either. <laughs> well, I, I didn't mind this one particularly. You know, I, I I just I don't know. I didn't feel like it was all that um, that bad of a matchup for us. And um, and honestly, we played them close. You know, this was a, it was a loss. It was a four point loss. And really, this entire game was Michigan State nursing a fairly narrow lead, like a two three possession lead. Like a lot of this game was us being down four to seven. They could never quite put us away, and the the the, the sting of it is, um, we only shoot thirty five percent in this game, you know, and we shoot under thirty percent from three. If we could hit a shot in this game, um, we were two shots away from winning this thing. I think um, Rob Lowe had two air balls. Yeah, and and, he's, and he's been unbelievable from three the entire season. And he's so he's one for five from three. Cody Ellis is one of six from three. Kwame goes two of nine from three. And that's kind of the story right there as we, we just, we can't hit our shots. We also, um, you know, uh, we, we didn't turn it over at all. We played a, a pretty clean game overall, uh, turning it over six times, you know, um, and we frustrated the hell out of Michigan state. It, we, we slowed them down. Um, their, their bigs were a lot for us to handle. Uh, I think, I think that was kind of a, probably between Draymond that green yeah draymond green is this is kind of when i realized like oh he's actually pretty good at basketball uh i didn't know he was going to become an, an nba star but watching this game he just did everything he finished with 16 13 and six assists two steals he was unbelievable um yeah definitely their their best player on the floor that day we didn't really have uh an, an answer for him but again we this one was was played close throughout so um, you know, Majerus really had, he had given us because of how sound they play, uh, we had a chance to win this one. Yeah, we really did. And, uh, I think, I think the indelible image from this season will actually be one that didn't happen on the court. And that's, uh, the post-game press conference, uh, Rick Majerus, uh, visibly fucking defeated. Uh, worn out. You get attached to kids. You know, I'll, I'll see them again. Not in the capacity that they're in now. I couldn't imagine playing for a better coach, a better person. He doesn't teach you just about ball, he teaches you about life. And he's just a great figure for the community and for the city. And he's really brought St. Louis basketball to where it is right now. What you would give to you know play with these guys one more time is uh, it's uh, you know they become family after a while. Uh, you're around them more than your family, so got me there. And yeah, it just it, it you know it, it hurt and uh, you know Kyle Cassidy, Brian Conklin, 
uh, two guys that uh, were brought in. Majerus told them, uh, "You guys, you guys are going to be best friends." Uh, and sure as shit, they were each the best man at each other's weddings. So I, I think I think Cassidy might have been the best man at Conkles. I don't know about vice versa, but um, yeah, it's uh, those guys gave gave everything uh, for the program and, and Majerus gave everything. And, um, yeah. yeah and, I mean, Conklin was sobbing, you know, in, in that press conference, that was really yeah. memorable. And, and Majerus too. I mean, he was crying a lot and part of a lot of slew fans, um, you know, given that this was, this wound up being the calendar year that he died and um, he wound up, he wound up dying that uh, December. Um his health was poor as we kind of got into the season and, and he was like, I'm going to step back and take care of my health. And, and Jim Cruz is going to step in as interim coach. And, um, and so, yeah, 20, 2012 wound up being the year that he passed. And uh, a lot of slew fans in hindsight were kind of like, I wonder, I wonder how much he knew about how he was feeling at that time. Um, you know, that March given just the, just the complete outpouring of emotion Um at that press conference, it was like Zach said, really, really memorable. And, and, but honestly too, I mean, it, uh, you know, that team was set up to succeed for the next couple of years and people were now in love with that team. Like slew fans were like this, this class, you know, now who would now be juniors in the fall. I mean, these guys are the real deal and they've been taught by the best and, and people were really on board. Um, and Jim Cruz, that interim year, really kind of coached him on autopilot. Um, he, he says it, the players say it. He didn't have to do too much. They just kind of kept everything in place um, that that Majerus had kind of lined up for him. And it really wasn't until the next year that he kind of tried, to, when he was permanent head coach, that he imposed more of his style. And honestly, they kind of weren't as, they weren't as good, even though all three years we made the second round of the tournament. Um. It, it was really, it was really those those first two seasons that they were truly a, a great team. I think. Yeah, I I really wanted to key in on on Rick Majerus as a person because I think he gets shit on really fucking unfairly. You know, kind of a dick to the to the media, uh, um, but uh, I mean, I, just a story that a, a buddy of mine. He was coming back from St. Louis or coming back from Cincinnati, the Xavier road trip, uh, basically because they pull a bunch from Cincinnati for students. He was a uh, he was a uh, admissions counselor with SLU. And um, so they would go or recruitment. I don't know, but they would go to a uh, admitted students night at the Xavier SLU game at the Cintas Center. And um, he was rolling back in on the flight uh, at Lambert Airport. Um, he's wearing his Billiken, Billiken stuff and, uh, he finds out that when he lands that his, his wife or fiance at the time, I don't remember, but, uh, she had gotten in a, in a, in a vendor bender, nothing serious, but enough that she couldn't come pick him up. Uh, so he's wearing his Billiken stuff and, uh, Majerus, uh, happens to walk by him and I guess they strike, he strikes up a conversation with them and, uh, uh, basically he, comes clean that, you know, he doesn't have a ride at the moment and um, sure as shit, Rick Majerus says, I'll drive you back to campus. 
uh, and they get in the back of whatever, uh, I, get, I don't know if it was a limo or an SUV or whatever, and uh, yeah, drove them back to campus and did the radio show while, uh, while in the car on the way back to campus. So uh, that's a story. I, I, I think it perfectly encapsulates uh, who Rick Majerus was. Um, I mean, outside of just, you know, uh, the, the lunches, and he would pay for everything. Like many people have said, like he would pick up the bill and it would be, a, you know, it'd start as a, as an after practice lunch for the, for the, uh, for the staff. And then next thing you know, they're talking basketball for six hours and it's dinner time and another round of food for the table. Uh, but that, that's, I think Rick Majerus truly was a fucking solid human being. And, um, you know, he talks about going to civil rights marches with his dad in the, in, you know, the 50s and 60s and whatnot. So, I mean, he's certainly uh, um, a complicated guy with a, with a unique legacy. I think so many of, like, because like Zach said, there are, there are stories out there that make him sound like a monster, you know, and, uh, and, and he definitely was hard on his players in a way that not a lot of coaches are anymore, or, or I think we're trending away from that. But um, the guys who really stuck it out with him, he they have nothing but. I mean, they have crazy stories about him. Don't get me wrong, but a lot of like great things to say about his his generosity and just uh, just how much he taught them. He he was almost like a a basketball savant. There are a lot of other areas in life where he fully admitted, "I am not developed on. I'm not you know fully formed." Um, but I I mean, a basketball mind like that does not come around very often. And you really saw that play out on the court um, beginning this season at SLU. And, and man, oh, man, uh, I, I, w- I, wish, I wish that that momentum had stuck around longer than it did um, because that, those were a, a special teams in, in the you know, SLU history book. Yeah, Majerus is a prime example of the guy who uh, knows so much about one thing that he does not have the time to give to, to like, basic things that – like we all kind of take for granted that we just kind of know. And I think tactfulness was one of them. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, yeah, he, uh, he, when he came in, uh, he did uh, these like little talks at all the, the residence halls on campus. And um, being the obsessed fan that I am, I was at every single one of them. And I think by the fourth one, he called me out on it. Asked me if I was uh, if I was stalking him, and I, I of course said yes, I am. Yeah, kind of like Peter said, complicated dude. I think I think he just had so much love for the game of basketball, and and was so uh, eager to to have that knowledge and learn that he didn't really have time for any of that shit that uh, called like politeness or anything like that. But. Uh, or or marriage or children or home ownership or you know uh, yeah ownership I mean he was, <laughs> he was not of, even a driver's license kind of singularly focused on uh, on on what he did um, although he did have uh, an encyclopedic knowledge of of good restaurants yes uh, he did every anywhere anywhere they went you know he 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 knew where, where to eat he had a and, guy it's like yeah, Hank he Hill guy. he's like Hank Hill I got a restaurant guy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and in St. Louis, he had many. <laughs> yes, he did. Yes, he did. So, 
you know, speaking of, um, you know, he had a, a great quote. He had a septuple bypass back in 1989 and uh, he said they, they did seven bypasses on me, one for each of the major food groups, um, <laughs> which is just awesome, uh, you know, of him to say that. But yeah. we'll get you guys out of here on this. So if you were to walk into an establishment in my hometown of St. Louis, Missouri, and there was a meal under uh, our boy Majerus's namesake, if you sat down and said, I'll take the Majerus, what would come out to you? I mean, it's got, all I know, um, I think it's got to be Italian. Yeah. And I say, and I mispronounce it uh, uh, intentionally. Yeah, the way, uh, it, the way he a, did. Yeah, an homage. Uh, it's got to be Italian food from the hill. Uh, he loved. He loved the hill. The hill is the traditional Italian uh, neighborhood on, in in St. Louis. For those who who might not know, and I think every restaurant on the hill. I mean, most of these places are you know, the second or third or fourth generation by now, family owned, and and just good traditional Italian food. It, it has to be something along those lines. Although I don't know what his, his dish would be. I would guess it'd be, I would, I would guess it's like, it's, it would almost feel like two entrees. You know, I'm thinking something that's more. It's like, gotta be a five courser, baby. It's There's going <laughs> to be like a heavy pasta and there's also going to be like kind of a heavy meat dish too. You know, uh, I think it's going to be both. I think like the perfect bolognese, um, <laughs> but also, I don't, I don't know what what meat he would do too. Like, I've been throwing uh, some bread, some a solid baguette, or not yeah, a French baguette, like a, but like an yeah, Italian bread, like a, a beef tenderloin, or a, um, oh. maybe a chicken parm, or I, I don't know, I don't know what he would do. He probably mixed it up though. I mean, he the dude loved to eat. <laughs> probably give some instructions, like uh, some kind of arrogant guy walking into to a bar and says, you know, like. I never want to see my glass empty. He's like, I never want to see the bottom of my dish. That's that's probably true. Back up. Yeah, that's yeah, probably true. There you have it. That is the story. And these are the college basketball stories. Is it 100% accurate? Yeah, that sounds right. Follow us on Twitter at the CBB stories. Also, see all of our inebriated storytelling podcasts as part of the Stories Podcast Network at the Stories Pods on Twitter as our guests rewrite the past across various sports. Alcoholic drinks are consumed voluntarily by our guests at their own discretion. Please drink responsibly. I'm Peter Hale. And I'm Zach Miller. And we're shit. <laughs> we, we are shit. We're, this we're is shit. one of our favorite. <laughs> we're shit. <laughs> and we're right. shit. Listen to All our right. show. <laughs> I got I to gotta tell that Porter. I got to talk about Porter Moser, though, too. Uh, disciple of Majerus, obviously, took Loyola in the final four. Now, Coach, know you. This dude was a legend at SLU. Porter was. Uh, you would run into him after a game at Humphreys Library Annex. The dude would throw down his credit card and just whatever you guys want to, whatever you guys want to drink, a couple rounds on me. 
just an absolute beauty legend. Like I, I, I knew he had it, it. He had it in him for, you know, at least to be that the head of a program, the face of a program. He's just, it, it, he is, if, if he can match what Majerus taught him with what he's got naturally in terms of personality, I mean, it's, I mean, he'll, he'll go to the moon. Yeah, for sure. He always had I great did. assistance, Majerus did. He did. He he was never afraid. That's what I'm saying. Like he the that's what I'm saying. The basketball mind, he was so intelligent when it came to basketball, but he was never afraid to bring in somebody who had already been a head coach. He was he was not intimidated at all by that. Or anybody that would uh that would talk back to him. I think he he had a lot of great coaches there. Uh, obviously Porter Mose is probably the most uh, notable. Uh, Jim Jim Whitesell is coaching at Buffalo now. Biancardi's the recruiting and college basketball guru at ESPN. Um, Alex Jensen is coaching in the G League still, or is he? Where is he now? Um, yeah, we'll we'll look that up. There's there's Chris Harriman who's been a great assistant for uh, you know a few different schools since leaving SLU. Um, and unfortunately, the you know I, th- I think the, the one we hired, Jim Cruz, was just not the right guy at the right time for us after Majerus died. Um, Cruz was kind of on his way out of coaching, you know, like he was retired honestly when Majerus called him up and asked him to come help out. And I think he was kind of good as that experienced assistant. Uh, but once he got the the head coaching job, um, <clears throat> became pretty clear pretty quickly that the game had kind of at least when those, especially when those guys graduated, but I kind of saw signs of it their senior year, that the Jet, Low, McCall, Evans class. Um, but it, it became pretty quickly clear after that that he he had kind of the game had passed him by, unfortunately. Uh, but yeah, most of Al, those other guys have gone on to great things. Al Jensen is an assistant under Quinn Snyder for the Utah Jazz. Yeah, that's right. Okay, and uh, he's also an assistant for the German national basketball team. There you go. Interesting enough. So yeah, the Majerus coaching tree is kind of sneaky strong, I think. Quinn Snyder's another uh good old Mizzou name there that I don't know how he's still I mean there's no co eds in pro basketball. Just... Yeah, I think he had some <laughs> some growing up to do still when he was at Mizzou, yeah. but uh but being in the pros twenty years later seems to suit him pretty well. Al Jensen is an assistant under Quinn Snyder for the Utah Jazz. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And uh, he's also an assistant for the German national basketball team. There you go. Interesting enough. So, yeah, the Majerus coaching tree is kind of sneaky strong, I think. There's some, there, yeah, there's, a, there's a line there between Quinn Snyder and Josh Passner. It has, <laughs> it's the wet hair, it's the beautiful <laughs> baby face, it's, Maybe Josh Passner should try the NBA. I think they've got that, or at least at various times, they've had that young man in a hurry kind of thing where they, they seem like the... Um, <laughs> they call them know. yuppies in the 80s. Well, it's, <laughs> it's, it, there's, a, there's just a, a, like, it's ambition without uh, much else to kind of bring that in and, and yeah. make, it, make it productive. It's just uh, ambition devoid of maybe ethics and, uh, <laughs> and some of the other things you need to be a good leader. I mean, Wait, so, so who's your who's your least favorite Billiken then? Uh, is it Cody, it's Cody Ellis, right? It's gotta be. A lot I know a lot of people who would say Cody Ellis, that's for sure. <laughs> I really exactly. didn't like Jordan Jet. I was gonna say Jordan. Wow. Not like a 
I don't know. It's another like you didn't know why you didn't like London Warren, and it's interesting that we both chose guys with dreads for that. But um, <laughs> I don't know. Like he wasn't. I didn't feel like he was good, but he always made like good plays. He wasn't like flashy. He was just like he was a bulldog. Pesky. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. It was just frustrating to play against. Yeah, that's interesting, though, because normally the most hated players tend to be the guys who are like, you know, they mouth off a lot. Uh, and Jet was not, I mean, he was kind of a, he was a really quiet player, yeah. not a, not an emotional player at all, um, just rock solid. So it kind of surprises me that that's your, that's your pick. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting for me as a St. Louis native that like was kind of a SLU fan, like I wasn't going to hate, like, like I didn't immediately like hate SLU, you know, because yeah. it's like the team I grew up with and they're like, fine. But of course now, like, I, I don't need, I don't even know that I hate slew. Like I hate VCU, like, I hate VCU. <laughs> but yeah, it's, you know, it's unique for, for me at least. Yeah. Um, so it's we're, harder we're... for me to go back further than, you know, this era. Yeah. I have a, I have an opinion that OB Toppin like... is super overrated. That's like just crazy. Yeah, I, I I don't agree He's like with that at all. Third best player on the Knicks right now. <laughs> he plays like twelve. The Knicks minutes. don't seem to th- th- think so. I guess. No, yeah. Uh, Thibodeau, Thibodeau, Thibodeau agrees with you. <laughs> yeah. No, Thibodeau I think he said on the planet that feel I, that way. Every game he played against Slu, he should have fouled out in the first half for moving screens alone. That, that was I, I I gotta say that was a slip screen very frustrating feature of his game that was allowed to just happen and uh we, we put that year that you guys went 29 and 2 and then uh i honestly that's it's the only time i actually felt bad for dayton fans was not getting that uh that postseason i felt no no i was <laughs> i was an absolute sociopath well, I moment. I really wanted that shot at them in the tournament because we would have. Oh had yes, in the we A10, had had yes, we yes, had yes. we were playing our best ball right then. But anyway, oh, um, I would have been happier if like so I would have been happier if it was happened. just the NCAA tournament that got canceled. Like I wish we could have finished that A10 tournament. Yeah, I, I would I would have been a lot happier with that too because that's a big unanswered question for 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 me. But anyway, um, I I. We, there was those two games that we played against Dayton that season were so close. Both of those games were so close. And uh, every top and moving screen stings more <laughs> than the last when you're like, these could actually have, you know, if you, if you whistle this dude for one or two of these, that could have a, 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 a bearing on this outcome. Uh, very, so very frustrating, not to mention the, the back breaking shot he hit in St. Louis, but. And I'm not talking about a series of shots, honestly. I am not talking about his screens where he he went to the hoop. I'm talking legit hip out, out heading towards midcourt moving. Feet moving. Yes, not towards the basket. Never ever called it, and I'll I'll never understand why. So to to pair with our uh, on loop video clip of of. Peter saying, uh, I was genuinely rooting for Dayton. Now we just put a loop of Obi Top and moving screens and it'd be perfect. There's no shortage of them if you want to. I'm sure you go on a synergy and you could probably find a, a couple hours worth. Actually, I'll go ahead and pull that for you guys off synergy and send it to you. <laughs> I'll have it to you by 5 a.m. There's that many of them? Yes. 
and if your listeners are, are super into the long form uh, history, um, our our I think some of our best shows uh, are are you know Billiken alumni where we kind of go long form and talk in their career, and I think they'd be really interested in whether they whether you go and listen to the Midtown Madness episodes or you go all the way back to the house that Rick built. Uh, they're they're really really good. When I remember actually kind of rooting for Dayton. When I remember actually kind of rooting for Dayton. When I remember actually kind of rooting for Dayton.